Okay, so uh, back at it. It is time for the Pistols Firing Podcast with your hosts, yours truly, Carson Cunningham. I mean, he's about as pretty as they get. Joined, as always, by Kyle Porter. When he breaks through and gets in the open, it's over. Gone. The Pistols Firing Podcast starts right now. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pistols Firing Podcast. We are back at it. Sorry we have not been with you in quite some time, but we got a season opener to get to. Obviously, Oklahoma State and Tulsa had to wait a week, but uh, we're finally going to kick off the season. But big change this year for the podcast. You know, Kyle Porter and I have done this since 2015. And with golf season kind of being played in the fall, he's just, he's really busy with, with CBS. He's become He's become really one of their top guys when it comes to golf and, and everything else. They do that CBS Sports HQ show around the clock. So he, he's slammed this year and, and will not be able to join us on the podcast. So I'm, I'm calling in the righty. I'm calling in Colby Powell, my friend. <laughs> I've uh, played a lot of golf with over the past few years. Uh, you guys know him as, you know, he's been a local radio guy here for years at, at the franchise and various other places doing his own podcasts as well. But Colby, we appreciate you, having, uh, we appreciate you coming on the show and it's going to be fun having you this year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad that we're getting a season. I'm glad that it's finally getting underway. I was kind of looking forward to the 6 o'clock game last weekend that I would have been able to watch. Uh, I've got a golf tournament, of course, this Saturday, so I won't be able to actually watch the game live. I'll have to go back and watch it on replay, which I always hate doing because you already know the outcome and it makes it a little boring, but it's better Mm -hmm. than nothing. We're getting football season. We're getting Spencer Sanders, Tylen Wallace, and Chuba Hubbard, so I guess I won't complain. Well, and at least you don't have to pay – $45 $45 for pay-per-view to watch them beat a team 48 to nothing. <laughs> like, like OU fans had to do the first I think that week. that was the standard definition. I think if you wanted to watch it in high def because it's actually 2020, then you had to pay 55 which oh, hard God. pass on that. That's, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the, the rest of the show, uh, we want to we mention Chris's University Spirit. They've been a longtime sponsor of the podcast. We really appreciate them being back again this year. They're your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Colby and I, we both went to OSU. You know, Colby, you got, if you want, like, the best, latest T-shirts and stuff from Chris, you got to go to Chris's, right? I mean, the Curse of well, Cowboys. Go to my, my best memory of Chris's is that uh, that's where I got my baseball glove growing up, the one I ended up using for, like, 10 years. I got it at Chris's University Spirit when I was maybe seven or eight years old. No and, way. Uh, used it forever, so. Well, now that's a ringing endorsement. I mean. Yes. They have it all at Chris's University Spirit. So once again, if you're in Stillwater, obviously tailgating is going to look a lot different. Uh, game day is going to look a lot different. But you still want the latest gear. You want the latest polo, T-shirt, you name it. So Chris's is the place for that. All right, let's get to the first five. Obviously, OSU versus Tulsa this weekend on, on Saturday, 11 a.m., Colby mentioned. Uh, Colby, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting game because obviously we don't know what to expect with the, the COVID uh, offseason with OSU players probably just chomping at the bit at this point. It feels like they've probably been practicing for six months, getting ready for this game since it got delayed. Uh, they struggled up in Tulsa last year, Colby. So they're obviously a 20, I think 23 and a half. Is it up to that? They're yeah, big, I'm they're big, 23 and a half right now. Yeah, they're, they're a big favorite, even though they did struggle up in Tulsa last year. So kind of an interesting opener. Uh, what, what, what's your take on, on week one? Yeah, I – I, uh, I'm inclined to take Oklahoma State minus the 23-and-a-half because they're just so much more talented. The only thing that scares me a little bit is, you know, I, I doubt Iowa State people really thought they were going to be in a battle last week, uh, and I guess they weren't. They weren't in a battle. They got run off their home field by Louisiana. <laughs> Kansas State, 
got beat by an Arkansas State team that was missing 20 players and eight starters due to COVID. Texas Tech nearly lost to Houston Baptist. So I don't want to project the problems of other Big 12 schools onto Oklahoma State, but it still just puts that thought in the back of your mind like, okay, these aren't always cakewalks whenever you play a team that's not from your conference. And Tulsa can play a little bit. Oklahoma State's just, man, way too talented. I think if Oklahoma State doesn't make mistakes, they'll cover that 23 and a half. But if Oklahoma State turns it over two or three times, I could see this being a 38 to 27 type game. I think that's possible. Yeah, I, I agree. And I know Kyle Porter probably wishes he was joining us today because he's been hollering at Iowa State to win nine games before they get any hype. And once again, they were hyped up this year and they they, they just – Made the Big 12 look ridiculous along with Kansas State and even even Texas Tech who beat Houston Baptist barely. Uh, the big, it was a rough opening weekend for Big 12. But I do think you make a good point. I, I do think there's going to be a little bit more parity here at least in the first couple of weeks because of COVID. Now, Tulsa is the reason this game was suspended a week. They had, I believe, nine or ten guys out uh, with, with positive tests or contact tracing, however you want to quantify it. So I do think Oklahoma State already has the athlete advantage that you mentioned. But they might even have just the the continuity and the the wherewithal having deal, dealt with COVID so far. I think Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy said they had zero cases at last check, which that's certainly a, a positive as well. So I think that's a that's kind of a narrative of this game too. Yeah, no doubt about it. Mike Gundy did say that Oklahoma State was a zero. And first off, good on the players and everybody for being responsible and not uh, going out and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But yeah, I, I don't know if Tulsa's guys are back and healthy then that's one thing. But still, Oklahoma State, I mean, these guys have played a lot of football together. The guys on the offensive side have been together, 10 of 11 starters returning on defense. Calvin Bundage coming back to uh, wreak havoc in the backfield. I, I think that Oklahoma State's defense, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to see where it ranks up in terms of the 2011 uh, defense and the 2012, 2013 defenses as well that were able to wreak a lot of havoc. Because those defenses forced a lot of turnovers. So mm-hmm. that's one thing I'm going to be looking for out of uh, Jim Knoll's side this year is forcing more turnovers, giving Spencer and Tylen and Chuba more opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, I saw Bundage on that, that ESPN Plus documentary that's running, and he, he's been kind of out of sight, out of mind, and I just hadn't seen his face in a long time. But he, he looks like an NFL player. He looks very mature, and obviously he's going to make a big difference uh, coming off the edge. And that is something to look forward to, too. And I – I don't know how you feel about this, Colby. For me, yes, I think Oklahoma State's going to win. Yes, I think they'll probably cover. Uh, The thing that's going to be interesting to me is how much work do they give Chuba in a game like this? Because you go back to last year, the game that he really, his worst game was the McNeese State game because he just, they took him off the field because they were up. And there's a delicate balance here of trying to get Chuba to New York and to win the Heisman versus not getting your best player injured in a game that you've already, you know, essentially clinched. So how, how do you expect them to utilize Chuba in this game? Yeah, do you remember Justice Hills last season, whenever coming in, everybody thought he was going to be a 30-touch-a-game guy and yeah. uh, they were just going to let him run wild? And then they came out in that first game and, and Justice Hill touched the ball like seven times maybe and was done for the night because they were way ahead. I don't think it'll be that drastic with Chuba, but I don't think Chuba's touched it 35 times against Tulsa. I think Chuba's going to have – 15 touches in this game, if I were to put a number on it. And, and I mean, that's not a lot, but I just think Oklahoma State doesn't want to run him ragged against Tulsa because I think getting him to New York and having him at the Heisman ceremony is a big deal. Or I guess it probably won't be New York. It'll probably be on Zoom. 
but getting him <laughs> right. as a Heisman finalist will be a big deal. But this team has bigger aspirations than a Heisman. This team wants to win a Big 12 championship. And to do that, he's got to be healthy the whole season, and he's got to have some juice late in the season, which we saw at the end of last year he started to get worn down a little bit. Um, so I would, I would say 15 to maybe 18 touches is the number I would put at for Chuba. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. That's that's what I would do too. Like, look, like I know no one in, in Stillwater, certainly in the marketing offices, want to look at it this way. But like, Trevor Lawrence is winning the Heisman. Like, a quarterback is going to win the Heisman. Like, he always he does. does. He Almost literally, does. unless he does something insane and rushes for like you know three hundred yards a game, like they're just he's just not going to win it. So quit worrying about it. Just get him off the field and, and make sure he's. He's not injured, as you mentioned, down the stretch. And I was kind of concerned, too, about the backup running back position, too. I mean, there's not a lot of proven players behind him. Um, I mean, Desmond Jackson was hurt last year. Uh, what's his name? L.D. Brown has really not impressed he's had, me a he's ton. Had moments. He's had a he's few had moments, moments. But that's about it. But there's a there's a big dramatic drop-off, obviously, from, from Chuba to, to them. But I – I will say I'm looking at the roster and I'm very excited about Dominic Richardson, the true freshman who TCU just completely yeah, botched his McGinnis, situation. Right? Um, what's that? Played his high school ball at McGinnis. Yeah. Bishop McGinnis high school. One of the better high school players I've, I've seen in the last 10 to 12 years. I'm not saying he's the best. He's not up there with Sterling Shepard or guys like that, but he was one of the better ones I've seen. So he, he adds much needed depth there as well. But uh, Colby, give me a, what are you looking for? Like, give me an offensive player that you're excited to see. You're excited to see what happens in this Tulsa game. Yeah, I'm excited to watch Braden Johnson, uh, not just against Tulsa, but throughout the season. Because I think if, if you were asking me a breakout player on this offense, I think that might be my choice. He, he's got blazing speed. And my understanding is that kind of early in his career, he um, wasn't totally locked in. And then last year, he started to get that way a little bit more and uh, put some more expectations on himself and improved quite a bit. So I'm curious to see what that improvement looks like for Braden Johnson now from last year to this year, because I think with his speed and all the other weapons Oklahoma State has, I think he'll get a lot of one-on-one -on -one matchups with guys that he can absolutely run past. So I think Braden Johnson is a guy that I'm going to be watching closely, uh, especially in a packed receiving core, because if he doesn't perform, now you've got Tay Martin, the transfer from Washington State. You've got D. Anderson transferred in from LSU. You've still got Stoner. Obviously, you've got Tyler Wallace. There are a lot of mouths to feed at receiver. Uh, so I think Braden Johnson needs to come out and play well early in the season to show that he's making even that next step to being a better player. Yeah, and I think he certainly provides, out of all the names you mentioned, I think he's the, the one guy you would look at as the home run hitter. I mean, he, he can really stretch the defense with his, his speed and, and the deep routes that you mentioned. He did that in the bowl game against – against A&M he looked fantastic and that's that's something he can hang his hat on is being the guy that takes the top off the defense a lot like James Washington used to in this offense but uh, I, I'm going to stick with the receiver position uh, Brennan Presley is getting some of the most hype I've heard from a freshman in quite some time I mean it, to me it's every word out of camp is this kid's going to play from day one and uh, from being from Bixby being the high school career he had I'm getting a lot of like Ryan Broyles vibes, kind of an undersized in-state receiver. And Ryan Broyles obviously had to redshirt with the trouble he got into, but that his freshman year camp, I was hearing everyone was hearing the exact same amount of buzz about him as we're hearing now about Brennan Presley. So how how much of a role does he have? 
how do they get him involved in week one and just what what can he do on the field at, at the college level I'm, I'm super excited to see this kid because the buzz has been been building all throughout camp yeah I'm excited to watch him it's again back to the problem of so many mouths to feed I, I just don't know whose touches Brendan Presley eats into and I guess we'll find out maybe he'll do some punt returns some kick return stuff but on the offensive side of the ball when the offense is actually out there I mean you've got Chuba needing his touches Spencer's going to take off running his fair share of times. Tylen's going to get his. Um, I mean, Jelani Woods, I would expect to be more involved this year over the middle of the field. You got all these other guys. So I want to see Brennan Presley. I, I think he could be really impressive. But as a true freshman, there's a lot of guys above him on the depth chart who have to eat before he gets fed. So I, I would say early, I wouldn't expect a ton from Brennan Presley because I think he'll have to establish himself before he starts eating in to some of the touches of the more tenured guys. That, that's probably fair. But Jalen McCluskey got on the field when that, that receiver room was loaded too, and he was a freshman. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, so you're picking, you're picking OSU to cover? What's your score? Yeah, I'll take Oklahoma State to cover. Give me 55 to 24, Oklahoma State. I like it. I'm I'm similar. I'm going to go 48-21. That's kind of – we're kind of in the same same realm there. I, I think they're going to win. And I, and I think – I do think that they're going to be even more – I don't want to say motivated. That, that's the wrong word. But, like, they've got to be chomping at the bit for this game. Whereas in other, in other years when this is the second or third game of the year, they could be looking ahead to Big 12 play. I mean, they've been dying to play a game. So, I think they're looking forward to that. Uh, let's get to number two on the, the – the first five here. Spencer Sanders, obviously the guy who's got to feed all these the mouths on offense, Colby. Look, he's super talented, right? We all know that. Mr. Texas High School football uh, showed flashes last year. But for me, Colby, it really comes down to turnovers. I mean, he had more interceptions than, than touchdown passes in Big 12 play last year. Obviously, he's saying all the right things. And, and, and again, he was a redshirt freshman. Some of that's to be expected as a redshirt freshman. But what do you expect out of Spencer Sanders this year? Can he eliminate those? And can he, can he put together, a, you know, an all-Big 12 type of season, really? Yeah, I'm expecting a big leap from Spencer Sanders. I don't think that we can overestimate the value of having a quarterback's coach. You know, his true freshman and redshirt freshman years, he had two different offensive coordinators, and the offensive coordinators doubled as the quarterback's coach. Well, now he's got Tim Rattay as his dedicated quarterback coach, and now Casey Dunn is the offensive coordinator. So I think having a guy in Tim Rattay, and Spencer Sanders even talked about it and said that his relationship with Rattay is just phenomenal and, and they're, you know, attached at the hip, basically, uh, is what I deduce from his comments about Tim Rattay. So I'm expecting a big leap from Spencer Sanders. And, you know, you just can't afford games this season like the ones that he had last year against Baylor with the fourth quarter turnovers, against Texas Tech with all the first half turnovers. They got Oklahoma State into too deep of a hole that they couldn't dig out of. So I think, look, he's not going to not turn the ball over all season. That's not realistic. But I do think that we won't see the games like Texas Tech and Baylor last year where it's like a snowball and the next thing you know it's an avalanche coming down the mountain at you. I don't think we're going to see that this season from Spencer. Yeah, I don't either. And I do think, I do think people underestimate – experience like we kind of holler at, at college football coaches sometimes for just going with like the redshirt junior over the uber talented freshman but I think what we saw last year is is kind of why they didn't play Spencer as as a true freshman when they had games to, to use with that new redshirt rule they just played corn dog the entire season and moved on down the road uh, I think you're, you're seeing some of that reason why but uh, I 
I do think he's gonna be better this year. But to your point, a new another new offensive coordinator, Casey Dunn. Obviously, he's been there as a the receivers coach. We all know that. But how much influence does Tim Rattay have coming from the pros? What what does this offense look like with Casey Dunn? Obviously, I think he's gonna run, quote unquote, the Mike Gundy OSU offense. But every single coordinator OSU's had has kind of put their own sprinkle on things, from Mike Yurcich uh, to uh, I'm just. What was the Princeton guy's name? I already, Gleason. Sean Gleason. Sean Gleason. He was here like five minutes. And I forgot his name. But uh, yeah, everyone's yeah, kind of put their here, own spin. He was gone. It was, yeah, that it was, was like, a that was a weird deal, right? Maybe it was just a culture thing, being from New Jersey, uh, coming to Oklahoma to Stillwater. Maybe that was culture shock, or maybe it just maybe it just didn't go along well enough with with Gundy and company. But that, that was strange. But I am curious to see what kind of spin. You know, being a receivers guy, I wonder if I wonder if. Uh, if they're going to air it out more from the offensive coordinator position too. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty high on Casey Dunn getting promoted to offensive coordinator just because, I mean, the guy's been around Oklahoma state football for a decade. He has seen some of the best coordinators in the game come through. He's seen some coordinators who, you know, struggled early and kind of had to figure it out. So I think that he's going to take pieces from Holgerson and Monken and Yersich and Gleason and Gundy. I think he's going to take pieces from all of those and then kind of create what he thinks is the best of those into his own offense. So I'm, I'm really excited to watch Casey Dunn call plays this year. I, uh, maybe I'm overly optimistic about how good of an offensive coordinator he'll be, but I, I really don't think Oklahoma State will miss a beat. I think they'll come out and uh, the offensive cohesion, if you will, We'll be there from day one with Casey Dunn. Yeah, I mean that's super exciting if he's if he's taking pieces from all those guys. And I, I'm with you too. Like at a certain point, when you're the best assistant on the staff for about a decade and you've recruited nothing but NFL players, at a certain point you need to get your number called and get promoted. And I thought that's why he left to go to UNLV. He's like, you know what, you're gonna keep hiring these dudes from Princeton and you know Shippensburg State. Well, I'm out of here. And I think that was the right call by by uh, Casey Dunn, and obviously that forced Gundy's hand when when Gleason left town. But uh, I think he's earned his shot. He's been one of the best assistant coaches in the country, let alone best receivers uh, coaches. So I'm I'm super excited for him to get his shot. And you said he's been around a, a decade. Have you seen his hat that he wears? That thing's been around for about a decade as well. Have you seen this thing that he wears? It's just yeah, completely we gotta worn get, out. We got to get Casey Dunn down to Chris's University Spirit and get him a new hat. It's getting out of hand. <laughs> No doubt, no doubt. Uh, so let's move on to number three, OSU's Big 12 title chances, Colby. Uh, Pistols Firing Podcast made an appearance on the ESPN Plus documentary. Me and Kyle were talking about kind of the, the season outlook. I said it would be a failure if they don't make it to the Big 12 title game, and they're certainly talented enough to win it. Uh, what, what's kind of your season outlook for Oklahoma State, and can they get to Jerry World and, and win it? Just kind of how, how do you see the season playing out? Yeah, I do think it's Jerry World or bust. I'm not going to say it's Big 12 championship or bust because once you get down to a one-game scenario, likely against Oklahoma, you know, anything can happen in that game. You'll probably be an underdog. Um, you, you know, obviously Spencer Rattler was playing against a Missouri State team that gives up yards and points to everybody. But Spencer Rattler looks like he's special. His arm talent looks uh, pretty different. So I expect OU's offense to be elite. Once again, I do think it's Jerry's world or bust, though. And then you you put it all on the line for one game and see what happens. But if OU and Texas wind up playing each other in the Big 12 championship this year, that means that, in my opinion, Oklahoma State uh, was a major disappointment. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I will say this, Colby. I mean, Mike Yersich got so much hate from OSU fans. But I'm telling you what, 
he did a really good job at Oklahoma State. People never gave him enough credit for recruiting Mason Rudolph and all the recruiting he did with Spencer Sanders. Texas's offense looked a little different. Again, I, all the caveats, they're playing a rum-dum. I understand all of that. But, like, Texas discovered the RPO all of a sudden. They actually understand what an offense looks like. And their offense looked a lot better uh, in week one than I've seen in years, really, from, from Texas. They looked explosive. I think Ellinger threw for 400 yards. So maybe Texas will be better offensively than I thought they were going to be this year. But I'm sorry. Oklahoma State has way more weapons. They're way more talented on that side of the ball. And I frankly think they're more talented on the defensive side. You don't say that very often when it comes to OSU and Texas. But just for me, that's the difference this year with Oklahoma State. They're always going to have a good offense. They're always going to have a good quarterback play. Uh, as long as Mike Gundy's there, I, I will never worry about that. Uh, but defensively, returning 10 of 11 starters, the job they did at the latter half of last season. And, man, I, I t adding Calvin Bundage to this is a real difference maker. I mean, he's not going to play every snap. He's going to play probably 30% of the snaps and just rush the passer, which is fine. But I think that's the difference in them getting to Jerry World versus years past because that's always been their, their bugaboo, right, getting stops in, in critical positions and critical times of the games. And I think defense now is a strength, which is crazy to think about OSU football. Yeah, and there's so many guys at every level of the defense that, that are going to be playmakers. Colby Harvell Peel, Trey Sterling, Jared Bernard, I mean, all those guys. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Christian Holmes looks like, the transfer coming in from Missouri. Obviously, A.J. Green has got some big shoes to fill. He was a great player a year ago. Rodarius Williams in his final season at Oklahoma State uh, should be able to be a playmaker this year. Should be able to be somewhat – I mean, you're never truly a lockdown corner in the Big 12, but uh, as close as you can probably get on that side of the ball. But I want to see if Christian Holmes is a player and is out there, you know, forcing turnovers, causing havoc, not getting beat up, or if he's just a guy – who's going to end up rotating in with some of these other guys. I think that's going to make a big difference for Oklahoma State, whether he steps up and fully fills A.J. Green's shoes. Who's been in college longer, Rodarius Williams or Skylar Thompson? Yes to both. <laughs> oh, man, it feels like Rodarius has been there since 2012. But uh, I'm glad he's I mean, back. You remember whenever he player. was just a pup? Was it the, uh, was the TCU game that he went out? Was he a part of that roasting, or was that the Ramon Richards squad I think that was the Ramon Richards squad I'm remembering okay. yeah well I remember him and AJ Green they were both kind of thrown out there super early in their careers and you know cornerback such cornerback is almost like quarterback where it's just it's feast or famine you get blamed or all you get all the blame or all the credit and I remember them playing at such a young age that they obviously look like good players but you know they gave up some big plays here and there and people just were like oh they're no good I'm like guys these guys are these guys are good players there's a reason they're on the field like they're obviously the best option so like just bear with us here and I think Rodarius has turned into a good player and you mentioned AJ Green he was he was outstanding for majority of his career as well yeah I think the majority of what people miss whenever they look at corner play is you know they look at whenever the ball is thrown their way is it caught is it batted down is it uh, intercepted what most people don't see, and most of the time you can't even see it on TV if you're not in the stadium, is the 50 offensive plays that a corner plays in a game that the ball doesn't get thrown to his side because his receiver's not open. And, and I think that you have to look at that, too. I mean, if a guy's only getting thrown at two, maybe three times a game, well, his interception numbers aren't going to be very high. His passes defended numbers aren't going to be very high because his receiver's not open, so the quarterback's not throwing that direction. So I think that's one very – underrated part of corner play by casual fans. I think they just look at what happens when the ball is thrown his way and they don't look at the, you know, ton of plays throughout the game that the ball doesn't come his way because the ball has no business coming that way.
Yeah, I mean, I, to your point, I think A.J. Green really limited targets his way because he was such a good cover guy. So that's an interesting way to look at it. And we'll have to see how, how Holmes does on the other side, wearing the number zero, which is new to, to college football. Yeah. Uh, not, not, not a big fan? It's fine. We'll see what it looks like on the jersey. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what it looks like on the jersey. I'm, I'm iffy on whether the number zero is going to look good or not. I'm fine with it as long as they don't start doing double zero as well. I've never understood how zero and double zero are two different numbers. They're the same value. Why, <laughs> why do you hate Carmelo Anthony? I'll take it off the air. Yeah, Greg Oster, not Greg, Eric Montross, Greg Ostertag. I think they were all double zero. Uh, Brian, Byron Eton, to keep it OSU related. Uh, I've never liked double zero. I've never really understood it, but I digress. Uh, number four, Colby, the Big Ten has been a c- complete fiasco. They obviously got FOMO, and, and now they want to play football. Uh, they're going to try to play an eight-game schedule, and they're, they're doing a lot of interesting things. But uh, what, what was your thoughts on the Big Ten finally getting their act together and starting to play some football? Yeah, I mean, they've kind of made fools out of themselves in this whole deal. They, they clearly thought that the conferences that decided to play weren't going to be able to pull it off. These college kids were going to go out. They were going to go crazy. They were all going to get COVID. It was going to spread throughout the whole team, and nobody was going to be able to play. And now all these teams have, for the most part, been pretty responsible. Uh, you know, no positive tests. Everybody's been able to play, and it looks like the football season's going to be able to go off. And I think FOMO is a great way to put it. The Big, the big Ten now looked, and they're like, God, this is going to work for everybody else, and we're missing out on how much money? Let's do the math real fast. I think they did the math and decided, you know what? Let's go ahead and play some college football. So I think FOMO is a very good way to put it. Everybody else was going to play. They didn't want to be missing out. So they decided to hop in now. Maybe now the Pac-12 is going to join. Maction is talking about an eight-game season starting later this fall. So I think that, uh, you know, obviously had they all canceled, we never would have known. But since a handful of conferences decided to go ahead and play and it's worked early, uh, I think that that's made the rest of the conferences come around and say, all right, if they're all going to do it, it looks like it's time for us to hop on board. So I think they've kind of made fools out of themselves, but better late than never, I guess. I tell you what, though, OU almost made them look pretty smart with their, their week one opener. I mean, that game sounded like it was one more test from being postponed, canceled, however you want to put it in Missouri State. They were missing like 21 players. Uh, so it, I think we built up a false sense of security with, with the COVID tests and, oh, well, the season's going to happen. I think OU was dangerously close to getting postponed, but that's the difference between the Big 12 and the Big 10 is Big 12 has these three bye weeks built in. They have the, the threshold limit with the, the roster sizes. They've built in all these fail-safes that is going to allow them to have a season. So that I, I am glad that OU game happened, and it appears they've, they've got their numbers back down to a, to a reasonable level. But in terms of the Big 10 – like, it's fine to, to be safe. I, I understand their concerns. I understand the university presidents, uh, all, the, all the collateral damage that would fall on at their feet. Uh, but at the same time, the people that are arguing against football, they need to understand that that comes at a cost if you don't play. And I think that's what the Big Ten, which you kind of alluded to, has, has realized. Like, if you don't play football, the financial ramifications are so vast that it affects – every other sport at the university and it affects the university as a whole in terms of just their, their bottom line. And it, it just would kill them. It would just crush them. Like Ohio state not playing football while the a high school in Ohio was playing and they're not, that just, that made zero sense. How is Ohio state not playing football, but a local high school there in Cincinnati is playing that just, it made no sense. They finally came to their senses, but they're going to play eight games. Colby, do you think 
an eight-game uh, Big Ten champion deserves to get in over, you know, another SEC school or a, a, the Big 12 champ or a Big 12 runner-up? I mean, how, how do you think the playoff committee is going to look at that? Yeah, I don't know if deserves is the right word, but if Ohio State uh, throws up a zero in the loss column, I think Ohio State could play three games. They could play six games. They could play 20 <laughs> games. I think if Ohio State has a zero in the loss column, Ohio State's getting into the playoff. I just – I mean, how many times do we have to see it? Helmet logo matters in college mm -hmm. football. And if Ohio yeah. State goes undefeated – they could play the eight worst teams in the Big Ten. It doesn't matter. If they go eight, no, they're getting in. So, um, and, and I think with Justin Fields, there's a really good chance they do pitch a zero out in the loss column, obviously – uh, COVID dependent, you never know who's going to be where. But I, I think Ohio State is probably a playoff team, even with only eight games. So, um, yeah, enjoy everybody. Which, honestly, to me, I don't think affects the Big 12 a ton. I think it affects the SEC more. Because I think the SEC, with only three Power 5 conferences playing, was almost a lock to get two teams in. And now mm -hmm. I don't think they're a lock to get two teams in. Because if a Big 12 team goes undefeated, I think they're getting in. Same with Ohio State. Same with Clemson. So that's three. That only leaves room for your SEC champion. So I think it's going to affect the SEC more than the Big 12 because the Big 12 wasn't getting two teams in anyway. Yeah, that's true. There's no chance they were getting uh, two teams in. I, hearing you talk about Ohio State going like 3-0 and and getting in, just, it makes me miss the computers so much. This, this committee that we have now, like you go back to last year, like when, when Wisconsin was winning, the, they were leading the Big Ten championship game. People were like, well, does if Wisconsin wins, should they get in over Oklahoma? I mean, gosh, it's like no, guys, like they should not. Like, <laughs> like, like when Kirk Herbstreit starts talking about, well, this this team has more draft picks than this team. Like, we get so far away from, you know, resume, like your wins and losses and who you beat, to eye test. It just drives me crazy, and I, I just. I fear that's what's going to happen. Let's say Oklahoma State has one loss and wins the Big 12. Are they going to go up against a runner-up in the SEC? And is Herb Street going to be up there on ESPN going, well, well, Florida's got more first-round picks on their roster than OSU. I just think they're, I just think they're better. I just, I just think they're ITEC. I think they're better. I just that, – that wears me out. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's almost a catch-22 behind the fact that you need to watch the games so you can see what the teams look like and all this other stuff. But – also, you might even be better just looking at the resume and having it be a blind resume so that you can compare teams, compare, you know, who's accomplished what. Because I do think that there is a matter of if your team has a first-round top-10 NFL quarterback on it, I think you automatically get a boost from the committee. If you have a, a helmet logo, you get a bigger boost from the committee. And as much as we shouldn't, I do think that we look at recruiting classes we look at draft projections and we say, wow, this team has got a bunch of five stars on it. This team's talented. Or this team has a bunch of future NFL guys on it. This team's talented. And even if they haven't accomplished as much as maybe a team with less high-level, high-end talent, they still get the nod because they do have that high-end talent. So hopefully um, if Oklahoma State goes undefeated, they get in the I, I don't see how they wouldn't get in if they go undefeated. But I, I will say this. I think every game is a playoff game for Oklahoma State. If all of the Power Five conferences are playing, I just don't think Oklahoma State has a big enough helmet logo to get in with the loss. No, I don't either. But I will say if they have – like let's say they lose to Oklahoma in the regular season and then they avenge that loss in a Big 12 championship game, I think they would have a legitimate argument. But I, 
I'm with you. Just, yeah. just look. Just look at every time OSU comes up in a national discussion. They they don't get nearly the respect they they deserve. And that's not that's not the local yokel thinking everyone hates OSU. That's just a fact. I mean, go back to we had the computers when OSU lost out to Alabama for a rematch, and they still didn't get in. We, even with the computer element, obviously the polls, everyone voted for Alabama. So that's just a fact of life. I think you're. I think you're right. I think OSU probably needs to go undefeated. They'll have a legitimate argument if they avenge a loss, but. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about out. that scenario. If, if, yeah, I wasn't thinking about that scenario. If they lose to OU in the regular season and then beat OU in the Big 12 title game, then I think that they could maybe get in at four. But I, I think it would I think it would be at four, and they would have to like, – I don't think you could have Alabama and Georgia both go undefeated in the regular season and then play to a 34-31 game in the SEC championship game and get in over one of those teams. But if one of those teams has two losses – and you avenge a bedlam loss in the championship game, then maybe Oklahoma State gets in. But there are a lot of factors uh, between here and there that Oklahoma State has to take care of. What's more likely, Mike Gundy matches his bedlam win total with two in the same season, or he loses twice in the same year to OU? Well, absolutely the most likely is that he loses twice. (laughs) It's the most baffling thing about Mike Gundy is that throughout his career, he has made so many great coaching decisions and almost none of them have come in that game. Huh. I never really thought of it that way. I, I mean, think of how many times he's done something and you're like, all right, that was a good move there. And then think of how many times you've been watching Bedlam and whatever the good move would have been, we've seen the exact opposite. I, I don't know what it is about that game. I don't, a mental thing maybe, you know, freezing up and just playing not to lose. But for whatever reason, his, his coaching acumen just takes a big dip in Bedlam, which is obviously not ideal. Well, to me, he coaches totally differently against Oklahoma when they're either favored or it's a toss-up. When they have a legit, when they have a legit chance to win that game coming in, he just tends to coach more conservatively. Now, the, the corn dog game against Kyler Murray, he let it all hang out. They 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 aired it out. They they left it all on the field. The the Mason Rudolph game against Baker Mayfield, that's a game I guess you could argue that they had a chance to win, but he let it all hang out that game, but I'm with you. But prior to that, Colby, he has coached uh, as conservatively as Ann Coulter when he sees Oklahoma across <laughs> on the other side. He, he, I'm, I'm serious. When he sees that OU logo show up before, when he has – like the 2013 game to me is the game that will always stick out in my mind. I mean, they were so much better than OU that year. The year was freezing cold up in Stillwater. They oh, yeah. I sat, out, I sat out in the cold that year. I, yeah. I distinctly remember. I mean, the Big 12 championship – that would have been the second Big 12 title. He just – he coached not to lose in that scenario. And I just – and I think OSU fans can live with losing to OU as long as you just go for it, man. As long as you just leave it out there. Like, be aggressive. Go for it on fourth downs. Don't don't take it into half – like the 2016 game in Bedlam. Like, Barry Sanders Jr. returns it to midfield, and then they just run out the clock instead of trying to get a, a late field goal or throw it in the end zone. Nothing. So I, I'm with you. He, he has coached differently in the past, but I will say the last few years he's let it all hang out a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, the Baker Mayfield-Mason Rudolph game, the last one in Stillwater that got up in the 50s and 60s, I, I will forever stand that Oklahoma State got out to the most incredible start in that game and a terrible officiating replay blunder took a touchdown for Oklahoma State off the board on that Abdul Adams fumble you remember yep. the Ab- Abdul Adams fumble he switched hands and they deemed it a uh, oh my god he had the right? ball 
He took like three steps. He switched hands. He had control. He then fumbles. It's a scoop and score. They determined it an incomplete pass. So instead of really getting out to an early lead, Oklahoma State was just up maybe 3 nothing or 7 nothing or something like that, and OU punted it away. And I will forever argue that that officiating replay blunder totally changed the outlook of that game in the first quarter. But, again, it's first quarter. You had so many chances to win that game. But I, I very vividly to this day remember I was sitting next to John Hoover in the box, and I distinctly remember both of us watching the replay and saying, oh, that's a, that's a no-brainer. That's, that's a scoop and score. Um, not, not even really any second thought. And then they come back and they say incomplete pass. And, I mean, everyone was just beside themselves. I'll, I guess they deem that he was bobbling it the whole time, but we've, we've seen running backs do this their entire history of the sport where they switch from the inside hand to the outside hand when they're going towards the sideline. That's clearly what he was doing. Oh, that, yeah, I think that would have put him up like 14 nothing or 10 nothing, one or the other, and they had to either settle for a field goal or, or didn't uh didn't score on their next possession either so yeah I'm, I'm with you there uh we could we could do a whole podcast on what ifs with in bedlam with osu football but let's get to number five and we'll wind things down here uh matt wolf at the u.s open t2 uh four under par colby uh matt wolf was he, he obviously won his first season on tour he didn't have a top 20 after that win for a long time was missing cuts and i i really started to wonder if his swing you know, that unique swing of his was going to be consistent enough on a week-to-week basis in the PGA Tour. And since then, he's finished top five in his first ever major at the PGA, and now he's, he's T2 at the U.S. Open. Pretty damn impressive. Yeah, I've got a question. Can you name all the guys throughout the history of uh, professional men's golf who have shot sub-70 rounds, their first five rounds in major championships? Oh, is it just Wolf? I think I may have saw this on Twitter. Is he the only it one? just Matthew Wolf, the only player in men's professional golf history to break 70 in his first five rounds in major championships. 66 yesterday at Wingfoot, uh, which, by the way, I've been watching it this morning for about the last hour and a half. Wingfoot is playing much more difficult today. Matthew Wolf is one over on his day through seven holes, and I promise that's pretty good. He is uh, tied with anybody who's on the course. The only people who are ahead of him currently on the leaderboard are Justin Thomas and Patrick Reed, and those are guys who don't tee off for another four hours. So, Matt Wolf, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and predict him to win this major championship on Friday, but he clearly has a knack for these big tournaments, and he clearly uh, has come to play lately. I don't know if you've noticed this, Carson, but it seemed like earlier in his career – I said earlier in his career. He's like 18, maybe less than that month in. He was a little more inconsistent, and it was like a top five and then a missed cut and then a top 20 and then a missed cut. Lately, it's just been a lot more made cuts, a lot more consistent golf. And yesterday afternoon, watching that all-Oklahoma State group of Ricky Fowler, Victor Hoblin, and Matthew Wolf was a lot of fun. It really was. And he almost had a hole-in-one on the same hole that, that Patrick Reed had. Yeah, And rolled right up to the flag. So that, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, this, this weekend. What do you think about Ricky? Has he lost his – I know he's going through swing changes. Uh, we, all, we all remember that year he finished top five in all four majors. But, man, it's been, it's been rough for Ricky here this, this year. It's, it's not been encouraging. And the thing with Ricky is he's, he's on so many commercials, and he only has like five or six wins to where he gets a lot of hate. Uh, just what's your take on Ricky before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, whenever Ricky finished top five in all four majors, I was still a student at Oklahoma State. That's been Ooh. a day or two Ooh. since uh, – it was 2014. Man, whenever he did that and I man 
I don't know about Ricky. I'm trying to find him today. So he's three over on his <laughs> day through seven holes. I had to go look for him online because I haven't really been showing him on the broadcast. He doubled his first hole of the day. He's made two more bogeys uh, next to only one birdie since then. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the cut line is going to be. The cut's probably going to be somewhere in the three over range, if I had to guess. Three, maybe four over, depending on how tough it gets this afternoon. But I, I would say Ricky can afford to drop maybe one more shot in his last 11 holes to make the cut. I just hope he doesn't miss the cut the way he did at the PGA Championship where he missed the six-inch <laughs> putt because that was brutal. He missed the tap-in. He missed the tap-in. I mean, One of the uh, worst mistakes I've ever seen at any level of golf. To miss the cut on by, by one. By one. The tap yep. that's, that's insane. Well, Colby, it's been fun. Let me, uh, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit one more time. They uh, obviously are sponsoring the podcast once again this year, and they always sponsor our uniform predictions, the long-awaited uni predictions. I think, I think Kyle dusted me last year on the, on the uniform predictions. But uh, I'll start off, and then we'll get yours, Colby. I'm going with the, uh, the white helmet with what I call Patriot Pete, you know, the pistol Pete that stands there all bow-legged, uh, orange yep, jersey, yep. white pants. They – they tend to go traditional week one at home, so I'll go with the traditional look with just kind of the, the alternate helmet. Yeah, I'm going a little bit different. I'm going orange, black, orange for week one. It's, it's all about the black and orange in Stillwater. So give me the orange helmets that kind of have uh, – I don't know if it's bullet or not, but it's got the horse on the side riding and bucking. Oh, the bucking um, bronco, yeah. Yeah, the bucking bronco. So give me that helmet with the black jerseys, uh, and then the orange pants. I think we're going orange, black, orange for week one. Well, they might look like the Cleveland Browns did last night with the orange, brown, orange. But uh, Yeah, hopefully they win by more than five. Hey, Cleveland won, but they did not cover. Good teams win, great teams cover. That was a backdoor cover if I've ever seen one. But I, I would love to see it because I'm all, at, at this point, Colby, I'm just, I want to see something new. Like, give me all the new combos. Like, we've, we've had, they've had new uniforms forever. We've yet to see, I think, orange, black, orange with that helmet. So I'm, I'm all for just newness. Give me, give me new. I, I like that pick. Yeah, and hopefully they're letting the seniors pick the uniforms and they're not just letting somebody, you know, throw them together. Let the seniors decide what they want to wear. I think that's cool. Yeah, no doubt. And one last note before we get out of here. I guess they're going to wear 87 throwbacks for, for Thurman Thomas getting in the ring of honor. Yeah. Uh, long overdue, they're going to do a ring of honor with all the big names and all the best players and, and student athletes and – in OSU football history. What do you think about Thurman being the first one? It's pretty cool. Uh, I think that's awesome for Thurman. I mean, everybody loves Thurman. Uh, he was great. He was, you know, he was Barry before Barry. And uh, big name, and, and that's really cool for him to get it in. I love that they're rocking the throwbacks. I'm always a fan of throwback uniforms. Throwback uniforms are never a bad idea. No. They've done a, such a good job, too. The, the, the 88 throwbacks they wore were, were unbelievable. And uh, credit to Thurman. I mean – Thurman's an NFL Hall of Famer, obviously, college Hall of Famer, obviously. But his most impressive, like, re thing on his resume is that he kept Barry Sanders on the bench. <laughs> the best running back of all time had to sit and wait until Thurman left town. That, that's probably his crowning achievement. Uh, yes, I actually think that they should put that on the plaque or whatever that you have uh, underneath <laughs> the picture in the Ring of Honor. Kept Barry Sanders on <laughs> No doubt. Well, Colby Powell, this was fun. We're going to enjoy talking to you all season long. We're going to try and do these on Friday before games and then on either Sunday or Monday and get it out right after the games so we have instant reaction. It's going to be a fun season. I mean, this shaping up for me, Colby, one of the better seasons in school history. Obviously, we have to wait and see if it plays out. But it's been fun having you on. And it's going to be fun having you all season.
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think all Oklahoma State fans were terrified that we weren't going to get to watch Chuba and Thailand again. So uh, enjoy every college football game. No more taking sports for granted. Uh, and then shout out Chris's university spirit again. If you know where Hideaway is at and the fire station right there on campus, then you know where Chris is at. Is at. It's right there in that same little shopping center as Hideaway. So get on up there and check them out. This has been a lot of fun. Looking forward to a great season. Now I'm hungry for pizza in Hideaway. Yes. <laughs> That's it. That'll do it. We'll see you guys next week.